You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I am your host, Kristen Maxwell. And in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, I am excited to be talking to Karu Papritz. Actually, I didn't ask him how to pronounce that. Hopefully, I got that right. <laughs> About living a legacy, living into a legacy. And Karu is the author of The Legacy Letters which is a multiple award-winning book that captures a dying father's letters to his unseen children, children he'll never meet. And as a Renaissance man with an adventurer's heart, Caro says he has an undying curiosity to see and explore the world. And from his background, you can tell that he actually lives into this. He's got a background that extends from working as a backcountry ski guide, river guide, to writing on war as a freelance journalist, to graduating from UCLA film school and working on films in Hollywood, to working as a cowboy, to becoming an award-winning author. So anyway, he is creating a legacy. So it will be fun to talk to him today. Carrie, welcome to your superpowered mind. Kristen, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. It's uh, it's really fun. You are Definitely such an interesting person, and I cannot wait to capture, you know, how some of that spirit of adventure for some of us who maybe do not naturally um, go to that place. How do we? How do we create it? <laughs> how know, do we create and, adventure <laughs> and tap into it a little bit? You know, sort of that sense of of the curiosity and and um, fun, which you seem to have. But I want to start, my first question is always this. Yes. What super to power did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind? I would have to say it's an extension of something I've, I seem to have had all my life. And that is um, a conscious love of people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and even, even more so than ever, um, I think I'm aware, uh, aware of how much I love to hear people's stories. And maybe that's a, a function of being a writer, but I love the give and take of conversation. Um, I'm, I'm amazed at the stories that people want to give you um you know my my son and wife are always like oh there's you know there's papa again you know it's like yeah let's oh my gosh you know my son oh you know <laughs> they're so used to it but i think that's a, the realization just how much people truly want to give of themselves and to tell their story um and given given the given someone who can listen to it and who wants to sort of celebrate it by listening to it there there it's just fascinating what people have to uh have to give to the world and and to give to me at that at that moment in time yeah that's lovely 
I love this sort of, I'm just going to ask it's I'm kind of going sideways with this, yeah. but the, the conscious love of people, what, what would you say that is like, how do you experience that? I, I think there's a certain, one of the things, and another probably part to your question, your original question was when in the writing of my book, the legacy letters here, I was working as a, as a, as a cowboy out on this ranch. And, and I was the only person out there as the, the, the sole ranch hand as it were um, far from, far from anybody. You couldn't see a light to save your life. That's how isolated I was. And as a result um, in the writing of the book, it was a very powerful experience over a period of five years. Um, I would work as a cowboy during the day and writing late at night into the, the wee hours of the morning. And I felt very naked to myself and to the universe. And so I think what I was another part I was able to take when I came sort of back into the world and back into book signings and back into, into life was taking this, these, these words that were written with such um, openness. And I was so amazed at how people wanted to open up to me because of those words. And so as an author, you're always, Oh, that's, that's very, very nice. And then at a certain point, I began to realize I was less an author and more of a messenger or a, or a conduit for these people to open up I and mean, extraordinary moments, uh, constant moments where people were saying, your book affected me in this way or this way or this way, or your words did that. And so I guess on top of, and so, gosh, what a, what a, what a perfect storm of my love of people combined with this sort of this, this, uh, what do you want to call it? Just, this, this nakedness, I guess, is a great, powerful word that they were just willing to open up to me. They're like, wow, you did this through your words. We're going to give you, we're going to um, say the same thing and like to back to you and mm -hmm. extraordinary moments. I, I can't. Yeah. One after the other. Yeah. There's some way in which, right. When you are open, when you give or show up in such an open way, it creates, I guess, that space for other people to tap into that openness themselves to, yeah. to experience it. Yeah. 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 Very, very, it's almost such a simple formula, right? I mean, do onto others as they do onto you. And it's like, well, if you're open to others, others will be open onto you. And I think therein lies the, the, the secret sauce of humanity right there and, right. and combined with civility and, and, you know, putting out that sense of, of wanting to love your, your fellow human being and they get it. People, people, people know when they're being loved. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we? yeah, yeah, they do. I do. And it was by what I'm laughing at a little bit. It's like, it's like, all you have to do is just be open to others. And the problem is we have so much stuff that we lay on top of ourselves that shut us down. Yeah. You have to remember to be open almost and to pull those things yeah. back. Yeah. And I think that's part of that whole mindfulness movement that's come about, which is interesting because to throw out mindfulness is very, very easy, but to actually make it a habit. And that's probably one of the things that, that I've been really trying to do. Well, I've been doing for years, 
but I still have to do every day. I mean, if I go to sleep at night, you know, take a moment and say, hey, what am I thankful for today? Just a brief 15 seconds. Hey, this was good. And then you wake up in the morning and you start off with this. All right. How am I going to approach this day or even during the middle of the day? Um, I, I also like to say things like taking um, uh, natural timeouts. Um, people say, what's a natural timeout? And I go, well, look, what's this? If we're so caught up in our lives or so caught up in the pandemic or with the politics of what's going on, you know what the great thing is, is we've got nature's solace in our DNA. I mean, and and I, I feel like nature calms us down and puts things into immediate perspective. So sometimes when I'm like stewing around or flitting around or whatever, I'll stop look up at the sky, look at, a, you know, if you listen, birds are everywhere. You just go, Oh, thank you. You know, crows. I love crows. And they, <laughs> yeah. It could be in a safe, uh, Safeway parking lot or a grocery store parking lot. <laughs> you know, it's like, look at, Oh, thank you. Thank you for reminding me to look at you and remember like, ah, this is okay. Life's okay. You're talking to me, you know, waking up in the morning, looking at the sunrise, all these things and these tiny timeouts. I think the, uh, the natural, um, the additive effect of doing that throughout the day really brings a nice sense of calm and perspective to the universe. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, um, it's really funny because I was talking, I was interviewing somebody yesterday and his really the, the way he described it was he would says, go to a city and look at everything that's around you and all the people. And I'm like, wow, because I do that with nature. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I agree. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So anyway, very fun. Okay, we do need to take a break. Um, before we do, where can people go to learn to find your book and more about what you do? Because you do all kinds of fun and interesting things, which we'll get into more. But where can they find you? Uh, really fun is, of course, thelegacyletters.com. And um, all that fun stuff I do is a lot of it's on YouTube. So if you go to Carew Tube or look up Carew on YouTube, Carew Papritz, you'll find all these different things that we can talk about, all these first ever book signings. And I love to read video series. So really, really fun. And um, of course, The Beast, Amazon, that's that's without saying, or support your local bookstores, ask them to order a copy. That's a great way to go. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Um, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about living a life that's a legacy. <laughs> Hang on. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the Programs tab to get started today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kristen Maxwell, and I'm talking to Karu Papritz. So... What are some of these fun? Well, let, let me just step back. Um, you know, you are an author, you tell your story, and it sounds like lots and lots of people then open up and tell you their story. Do you work with authors? Do you do you encourage people to write? Is this part of your mission? I'm just out of curiosity. Yeah, I I, I mean, 
when you're an author, you attract people who a want to be authors or are authors. And uh, that's a nice part of the game. But I think coming back to sort of my love of people, it's it's whatever their passion is, what wherever they want to sort of tell you. It, I just I just find it so fascinating how what people want to tell you about their lives. I mean, I just I I, I guess I'm addicted to the people's mm-hmm. stories. And I'm always amazed at the depth to which they'll reveal themselves, especially when they feel like they're in a very, very safe place with a very safe person. And you've never met them, but they've met you through their words. Uh, a brief example, and it's a story I love to tell. Um, usually when I'm at a book signing, I'm a very uh, outgoing person. I'm not sitting there sort of mousy and waiting for people to come to me. I'm like, oh, stand up. And you, you can only imagine. Yeah, I'm, but- I'm not surprised. <laughs> So there was uh, this particularly slow Barnes and Noble uh, book signing one day. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is driving me nuts. There was this mother and son. Son's about 14 or so. I said, hey, come on over. Come on over. And they're like, oh, there's the scary author. Says, no, no, please come on over. Come and talk to me. They came over and she says, OK, what's your book about? So I explained what it was about. And she says, that sounds interesting. And I says, oh, let me pull the interesting knife out of my back. That's the horrible word, you know. And I said, and I said look, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I am going to guarantee this book. She says, how can you guarantee a book? I said, I believe so much in the words of this book that if you pick it up and turn to any page, I will guarantee you will turn to the next page um, or I'll give you your money back. And you haven't even bought the book. So she thought that was funny. She picks up the book and the kid was on his cell phone. You're doing cell phone stuff. And I say, hey, you too. You pick it up, and I go, yeah, like whatever. So she picks it up. A couple pages later, she goes, I'll take two copies. I was floored. I was like, you're kidding. She goes, she goes, so she goes over to the cashiers and I turned to the kid and he's still reading. And I said, Hey, Hey man, what gives? I says, I, 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 you know, I just threw that out there. Like, I didn't think you would read the book. He says, and he turns to me and he looks at me straight in the eye and he says, I am, um, he says, I don't have a dad. I wish the guy in this book were my father. Oh, and that is the type of reaction I get almost every interaction I have, especially when uh, book signings, I get that over and over again. Very powerful. Wow. Yeah, that really, really is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, how did you get the idea for, for your book? This so, idea of legacy. Yeah, that interesting. I, um, as I like to say, I had an early midlife crisis and I figured uh, it's best to have them early as a, mm-hmm. as a yeah. right? So here I was in the film industry. I was working on feature films. I've got into the union, you know, was hobnobbing with the likes of Johnny Depp and Marlon Brando and all those things. And, and uh, began to realize that there were a lot of unhappy people in the film industry. And I, um, I, I just, began to see sort of the writing on the wall, the golden handcuffs of being in this, this industry. And I needed to sort of find a way to get out. And I ended up actually driving around the West, what I like to call a drive about, you know, we talk about the, the Aborigines doing a walkabout. Well, I started doing drive abouts in between film productions. I'd go out for two or three weeks and just drive around the West. I've lived all over the West. Um, so I've, I found solace in doing that. 
and um, I ended up sort of going back to my roots um, in a funny way. My granddad had a small ranch when I was growing up, so I ended up on a on this ranch um, out in the in the middle of nowhere um, in southern Arizona. Um, and as I was, I was the first job I had was putting up a fence line, and I was out there. Um, putting a barbed wire fence and I was living out of the back of my pickup and this, and this idea came, I hadn't really written seriously in a, in a number of years. And it was like, boom, I'm out here um, in this Walden pond sort of time period of my life um, going from the heart of Hollywood to the heart of this, this, uh, the desert, you know, almost mm-hmm. like in this, um, I, you know, when Jesus was 33 and someone said, oh, this is your Jesus time of life. And I go, what are you talking about? Yeah, he's 33 and he took off and went out into the desert. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So except he only did it for X amount of time and I did it for five years. So uh-huh. a little bit bigger. And um, so I started writing the, I came up with this idea, it just popped out of nowhere. And I started writing the book on the back of my pickup Um and I had a horse trough to bathe in and I had a, I had a, was writing it by lamplight. So you can, I mean, I'm romanticizing it, but that's exactly where it started. So it started from this very powerful, quote unquote, naked place in my life where I was just sort of meeting myself once again and saying, wow, where do you, where do you want to take this life of yours? And that's sort of where the whole idea of the legacy letter started. Yeah. And where, and there's, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in the book is this is, did that come through you or was that stuff that you was you were actually taught or both? Yeah, both, both. And I think I need to sort of tell your listeners real quick, the basic premise. And I know we went through it at the beginning of the, the show here. So these are a series of letters written by a father who had never lived to see his kids. And these letters become their practical, moral, and spiritual guidebook for the rest of their life. And so they grow up with these letters Um and they decide later in life that they want to give 40 of the over 200 letters the father left behind to the world. And that's in this book, this smaller book called The, the Legacy Letters. There's a, there's a larger book that's finished called The Legacy Letters Complete, which is all 200 plus letters. So um, so that's where the, the book started. And that's, um, but the wisdom in it was a combination of all the, 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 the mother wisdom and the father wisdom that was passed on through me. And I say that in a general way, because look at all the people that I listened to in my life as I grew up. And then this consolidation of this, this quote unquote wisdom. And Kristen, what's really funny when I wrote the first hundred pages and I wrote it by hand and I decided I was going to write the, that first hundred pages and I was going to sit down and read it. And I said to myself, okay, here we go. So I sit down and I'm reading it. And I'm like reading and reading. And I, I thought this was going to be the most brilliant hundred pages I'd ever written. And I got to the end of it and I just wanted to burn it up. <laughs> I said, this is so finger waggy. You know, it's like, oh, we need to do this. Need to do this. And what I realized was it did not have the story behind the wisdom. And so you know, you look at all the the great. Well, the Bible's a great one. Um, the the, the um, all the childhood stories you have. That wisdom comes with a story behind it, and that's where I realized that's what was missing. And so that's what took so long for the book to be written and to be finished. Because then 
the characters started to tell the story of where this wisdom came from and that how hard it was to earn that and the way it was earned. Yeah, that's that's really very interesting. It's fun. You know, and one of the things is, you know, as I was reading some parts of it is uh, one of the ideas that I picked up on the quote was, as an adult, be childlike as you learn, but not childish as you live. And I, for some reason, that caught my eye. Again, it's this idea of adventure, yeah. you know, being being curious to the world and to people and what's happening. Um, but not as a child, not as a child. And not, not as, really a, yeah, as a child. Kristen, what was, what I did when I was 14 is I may have, it's interesting that I was at the age of 14, you know, here you're on the cusp of becoming an, an adolescent and, and maybe there was a little bit of precociousness in that, but I, I made a vow to myself that I wanted to live the most adventurous life I could. Now, that does not mean the most secure life on a financial mm-hmm. level, on a relationship level, on any number of levels. But I always wanted to make sure that I would go over the next ridge line, the next peak or the next whatever it was, and not be afraid to go down that, to go forward as opposed to going back. And I remember, you know, here I was at this at this ranch by myself. And I had this moment where I said, my God, man, look what you've left behind. You've left the film industry. You're in the, the, the most prestigious union you could ever get into and all this. And I said, you could easily go back to your friends. They wonder where you are. You've dropped off the face of the earth. And I said, yeah, but I could go forward writing this book where I have no idea that it was going to win all these awards and be this great success and da, 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 so on. So I just, I fell into the universe and said, man, you're going to have to catch me on this one because I'm not going back and I'm going forward. Yeah. And how do you live that way now? Or, I mean, how do you keep that up? You've done a ton of it. Yeah. Oh God. It's such a good question. I think, I think the key, and it's a really, really good question. I just, I look at every day like it's my last day. Mm. You know, I just live like, man, I cannot get enough life into this day and the next day and the next day. And maybe it's a sense of how much can you accomplish? But I think it's just more than it's like, wow, I am so hungry to live this life. And and I don't want to leave anything on the table at all. And that that's, and it's what's fascinating is I think with the book, when I started doing all these sort of these first ever book signings and all these video things that have really gone wild, it's been really fun. People say, why are you doing this? I says, I, A, I wanted to be outside. I didn't want to be inside signing books and B, I wanted to walk the talk of my book. I wanted, if, if the, the central premise of the book is to live life to the fullest, well, I didn't want to do it just in words. I wanted people to say, why are you doing this? And I get to say, well, guess what? I get to do it because this is what my book says. So I got you to walk my talk. And I'm a big walk my talk fan. You know, my son knows this you know, <laughs> in, every, in every way possible. But I, that's, that's primarily it. Yeah. 
That's crazy. And does it? Some people, the idea of regret spirits really spurs them on. It sounds like yours is not, it's a more affirmative, like I yes. want to be in this all in. Yeah, you brought up a really interesting point. One, um, years ago, I stumbled across this idea. It's called a regret test. And it, it's really interesting. So you're, if you're at a point in your life and you're going, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go next. I don't know how to, to break through, whatever the case may be, then take the regret test. Think about being 90 years old and looking back on your life and saying, wow, you should have gotten out of that marriage. Wow. You should have taken that other job. Wow. You should have done that because look at how miserable you are now at 90. And then, and sort of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, what do you want to call it? It's a paradigm shift. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, you do that and you go, wow, I do not want to be on my deathbed. I don't want to be 90 years old looking back at that and saying, I regret doing that. So that's an, that's an interesting way to try to bust through whatever's holding us back that, and maybe that's a not as positive a way of doing it, but, but you can also say, man, I don't want to have any regrets at all. I'm going to move forward with as much. Yeah. Passion and power as I, as I, as I can give to myself at any given moment in life. Yeah. And I don't think one way is right or wrong. Like when I, when I say it's regret versus positive, but it's still whatever with some people, you know, what does it take to get you looking outside of the box and saying, okay, do I want to make my box bigger or get rid of the box? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. And it's almost a fight or flight mechanism, right? I mean, sometimes I tell people, Go ahead and scare yourself. Go ahead and be afraid that, gosh, if I, I think a classic one is a relationship. Like people are on the fence of, or marriage, or, you know, like ah, I just want to get out of this. Well, either, either really fix it or really get out of it. But you know, one or the other, and you're going to look at ninety and say, yeah, I spent a life trying to just stay in that relationship, and eh, ain't going to work. Yeah. You know? So that's so. If that's what, if that's what fires your giddy up and go and get you out and then then great if it's a i think it's a bit of fear mixed in with this uh fear and affirmation right yeah 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 i always one of my the things that i really used to think about well a lot was the idea of living all in oh, and yeah. and it is this idea of what makes you feel again i'm coming back to the openness what makes you feel expansive and open mm-hmm. rather than shut down and like you need to protect yourself. Yeah. Sort of you can, and that's just sort of this gut check of what does it feel like in the but body? You, and don't you, yeah. And, and isn't that so, it's so visceral, you know, you mm-hmm. know, when you're not, you know, when you're not putting yourself out there, you know, when you're hesitating, you can feel it in your gut. I love that. I mean, I think that says so much about us, as human beings, there's this, um, the physicality of these decisions that we make, like, uh, yeah, yeah. If, if you go, uh, you're hesitating, you can feel it. It just, it just permeates you and people sense it. And mm-hmm. it's almost like that thing that animals like, oh, they can sense fear. Yeah. Well, human beings get it too. Yeah, no, it really is. We're very, very, um, like our nervous systems really do have an impact on us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. They I, do. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. and we're tied into each other that way. I think that's what's amazing. And yeah. if you're really, and if you're really the more, I think for me, again, back to this, this loving people idea and, and being passionate about that, then you're, then that tuning is, then you're really listening to them and you're really going, man, you, you've really got your life well-centered or you're really not, you really need to bust out and do something different because you can feel that sort of hesitation in, inside them. So yeah, I like yeah. that, the nervous system. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's super, it's really interesting. Well, it's just because, you know, talking to you, I can feel the openness and I'm sure as people listen, they can feel it. So it's, it's also really fun to listen to people like you mm-hmm. because it's a reminder of, Oh, look, okay. Yeah. Can I, can I, let go of some of the flatness almost that I'm holding on to mm-hmm. and rise. And I'm sure that's what you're doing with people as you're calling them to a different, a different energy. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, okay. That was kind of a random sideways, but I, uh, these, <laughs> these are the things I'm interested in. So. <laughs> oh, I agree. It's, and, and it's the, it's the story sharing once again, and that sharing of, of not just the story, but the energy behind it. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so we have just a couple minutes left. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what you do on your Karoo tube, the uh, the love to reads and oh, all the old Karoo tube. Yeah, this is yeah. really fun. So back again to sort of walking the talk of the book and and what the first set of things I came up with was the first ever book signings. And so, for example, the first ever book signing on a horse. Um, did, it was a did digital book signing where I actually uploaded the the uh, the book um, and I was on the horseback and it was in front of a Barnes and Noble. That was fun. But I've done first ever book signings, meaning the first ever book signing on a glacier. I was up in Alaska, first ever book signing on a volcano on Mount St. Helens. And what do I mean book signing? I put it out there. There's a book signing at this moment in time. And whoever showed up, sometimes only a few people would show up like on Mount St. Helens. But but I'm signing books up there and it's a real thing. And um, uh, first ever book signing um, uh, post Castro. I mean, it was in Cuba when Cuba opened up and there was a, we did the first ever modern day whistle stop tour uh, on Amtrak from Orlando and 13 cities all the way up to Niagara, all the way up to um, uh, Niagara Falls and we'd get out and sign books. So, and on and signing books on it, um, on the train and all this type of stuff. So lots of, lots of fun stuff. The second part was the, I love to read series. So I like to get kids excited about reading. So I just, I came up with this idea of reading the book in all these different places. And so I'll have the legacy letters and I'm reading it. And here I am. The first one we ever did was the, back to the horse, the horse I worked on, the horse I got married on, the horse I did the book signing. And I'll say, I love to read and I love to ride. And I'd whack, you know, like spur the horse and the horse rah, take off. Well, this, so we ended up doing about four or five different takes. And every time we did the take, that horse, his name was Boots, would fart. I mean, I wow, you can, and you can hear it on the recording. <laughs> so that's where it started. So I did these, these, I love to reads all over the world in New York and DC and in front of the Parthenon and Greece. And, and I do it um, on river rafts and fly fishing or on uh, climbing or, or on go-karts or playing. I mean, it's just this full gamut. And what the idea is is for kids to be able to ask, wow, is that what authors do? Or 
why is this guy doing it? Ask a lot of questions, you know, the geography behind it, uh, the, just uh, any number of different questions. And I get to answer these questions to kids and they all get fired up. I was like, wow, that's what reading a book is all about. It's sort of a backdoor way of getting them excited because where do they naturally go to YouTube now? I'm saying, yeah, but guess what? You can go to a book and get this same sort of excitement. So that's some of the stuff. And then lastly, National Thank You Letter Day, November 14th. We started this five years ago to promote civility and, and manners and to bring back the idea of writing thank you letters. And we created the world's largest thank you letter, handwritten thank you letter, the size of a basketball gym, the world's largest. Oh, and so when we did that the first year, this is so exciting. I know we only have a, a minute more, but what do you do with the world's largest handwritten thank you letter? You have to send it. So, so guess what? The next year we created the world's largest envelope and stamp, and we sent it to our sister school through the mail. The post office was there, the whole nine yards. And I will tell you something that just happened last week. Breaking news. Are we ready? What? Guinness Book of World Records gave us the um, Guinness Book of World Records for the world's largest envelope last week. Wow. It took forever because of COVID and all this. So yeah. you're looking at a Guinness Book World Record holder along with our local school. It was incredibly cool. And if you go to nationalthankyouletterday.com, you can check that out too. So again, part of the just go, go, go and, and live life to the fullest and try not to leave anything on the table, right? That is so fun. Yeah. Really, really fun. And I, it's just what a game. What a game to make it a game. Yeah. (laughs) What a game. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you. It's, it is a joy, a joy to talk to you. Yes. Um, Likewise to you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, remind people again, just quickly where they can go to find and get some of your infectious adventure and Get that yeah, check out all that stuff. The best place is thelegacyletters.com or else you can just type in Carew Paprits on the internet and you can just go down the list of all the fun stuff there and all the things I've done or find the videos and um, or the interviews I've done in other places. And yeah, lots of lots of really fun stuff out there to, to tap into. That's awesome. Well, thank you for being here. And listeners, thank you for showing up for yourselves. Um, if you're interested in learning more about what we do at Superpower Experts, you can go to your superpoweredmind.com and just check out some of our programs and community events. Um, and until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to transform your world. Take care. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 